down this wall. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. I'm not a crook. If you like your health care plan, you'll be able to keep your health care plan. Source for the latest news on money, politics, prophecy, and preparedness. And now your host, the editor-in-chief of ChristianMoney.com and the author of more than 30 books, Jim Paris. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our guest segment. Super excited to have him back. One of our most popular guests, the most downloads. I think, you know, maybe uh, up in the top two or three of all of our guests in terms of downloads. Uh, people love this stuff to talk about Scientology. And Tony Ortega is here. His blog is The Underground Bunker. You can just Google that. And you want to bookmark it. If you do RSS feeds or use Feedly or one of those, you want to go ahead and add this to your feed because every single day he posts a new article about Scientology. And there's always something new going on. That's why we have him on four or five times a year. And uh, Tony, good to have you with us, sir. Jim, it's always good to talk to you, man. All right. Good to have you with us. I'm going to turn you up a little bit if you could get a little bit closer to your mic or your phone, whatever you're on tonight, so we don't want to miss one single word. I, I want to just go through some of your blog articles. Let's start, though, with uh, the Danny Masterson case. Uh, what's the latest on that? I, I was reading there's like uh, the civil case and the criminal case, and this is still ongoing. It's not resolved yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the criminal case is the important one. And uh, Judge Almeida set a trial date of August 29th. And I think she's going to be pretty firm about that. But in the meantime, in just a few weeks on February 8th, there's going to be a hearing where Danny's defense team is going to try to overturn her decision to bound him over for trial. Um, they're gonna, they're doing what's called a 995 hearing, which is a particular kind of hearing questioning the ruling after the preliminary hearing in May. So in May in Los Angeles, there was this amazing four day hearing. I was in the front row of the courtroom for the whole thing. And, um, the judge, you know, the women, the three accusers got to go into the courtroom and testify live on the witness stand. It was an amazing four days of testimony, really brutal. And at the end of it, the judge decided, yes, there is enough evidence to hold Danny Maston for a trial. So on February 8th, his defense team is trying to overturn that, and uh, they're going to a different judge. So that'll be interesting. I so think he's right now shot. being I think so he's being held in prison right now. No, no, no. He's not in custody. He's out on a bond on a three point three million dollar bond. Okay. Keeps him out of jail in the meantime. And uh, assuming that this uh, uh, this hearing in February eighth does not dis derail things, he's looking at an August 29th trial, which will last weeks, weeks of testimony about him, about the Church of Scientology. It's going to be brutal. And if he's convicted. He's facing 45 years to life in prison Wow! for brutally raping three women uh, who were all Scientologists at the time. Wow. And and so in the meantime, he stays he stays out uh, on bond. He doesn't have to be held. Uh, he's not considered a flight risk or anything like that. He, he lives in Santa Barbara County now. He just sold his Hollywood Hills 
home for $6.2 million and he's going to okay. need every penny of it because yeah. he, he just hired some new attorneys to, to enlarge his defense team. Wow. Now, the civil uh, case typically has to sort of slow walk behind a criminal case, but is that also happening here? Is there is is the civil case as active the the suit for money is that as active as the criminal the, case the civil case is 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 really got some issues because it was actually filed in uh, 2019 he wasn't criminally charged until 2020 so the civil lawsuit came first but then uh but the the women sued Danny and they sued the church of scientology not over the rape allegations but over allegations that they've been harassed for coming forward. Hmm. And so there the civil lawsuit is about whether Scientology and Danny have put together this campaign of stalking, surveillance, harassment, hacking that these women claim that they've been going through constantly. And even since they filed their lawsuit, I mean, they, they, they say it's still going on now um, that they're, they're constantly being followed by private investigators and people are coming to their house and, so that's what the civil lawsuit is about. But Scientology successfully derailed it by arguing that they, as when they were Scientologists 20 years ago, they had signed service contracts requiring them to take any grievances to Scientology's own internal religious arbitration and not sue. <laughs> yeah. And so even though, even though these allegations of these things happening 20 years later, Many years after they were Scientologists, the judge found that, yes, they're still beholden to that contract. They appealed. The California Supreme Court decided to give them an appeal, which was very unusual. And that appeal was heard in November, I believe. And we're waiting or waiting for a ruling. But again, this is so much less. I think the, the criminal case is so much more important. Uh, and I think it's important for people to keep that in mind. Now, it's the first of the year, so Happy New Year to you, Tony. And doesn't isn't there usually something big that happens uh, on New Year's with Scientology? Did they do that this year? Was it as big as usual? Are they uh, still sort of pandering to the COVID uh, situation, trying to claim that no, they're uh, doing their New best Year's on that? Eve, Right. New Year's Eve is one of the holy days on the Scientology calendar. The big days are New Year's Eve. L. Ron Hubbard's birthday on March 13th. Uh, they have a big October celebration to celebrate their biggest donors. And then in the summer, they celebrate the maiden voyage of their cruise ship. Uh, so, and they spend a week out there. But all of that has been basically on hold because of the pandemic. They haven't had an international event since, um, uh, before New Year's Eve 2020. So uh, this is the second uh, New Year's Eve in a row that they did not have an international event. Now, I think they do have, an, it, they, the last two years, they've had a smaller New Year's Eve event in Clearwater, Florida, just for the local Scientologists there. And and my sources tell me that David Miscavige personally uh, attended uh, both of those last two New Year's Eve, which is part of the, one of the newer things going on in Scientology is that Dave has forgotten, uh, Dave has basically given up on California and has now moved permanently to Clearwater, Florida, which is kind of big in the world of Scientology. Wow. So clear is Clearwater starting to become like a much more central location 
for Scientology is, is I mean, it's always been a big base. It started there and, and, but there's always been all these other locations. So it seems like California is sort of starting to take a real, real backseat to Florida in that regard. That's been my observation for several years now. And Miscavige now actually personally moving there really kind of cements that. And, um, yeah, I mean, Clearwater and Los Angeles have both been very important for many, many years in Scientology. But Clearwater is, is gaining the upper hand. But it's more in sort of a circle the wagons thing, you know, because Dave has moved there. Tom Cruise has bought, built a condo there. Um, some of the other celebrities have been buying houses there. I feel like it really looks like David Miscavige wants the, the, the gravity of Scientology to move from California to Clearwater, Florida, where he has a lot of sway locally. Yeah, well, everybody's moving to Florida. <laughs> Why not the Scientologists, right? It's kind of, you know, <laughs> it seems like everybody's coming here. Uh, all right. There's a bunch of questions coming in over Facebook, so I'm going to get to some of those in a second. And I'm going to go ahead right now and open up the phone line. If you are watching on the video feed, I just put the phone number up. If you're watching live, 646-716-4041. And then also uh, those that are on the audio feed, you're welcome to call in as well. Write it down, 646-716-4041. Anything you want to ask about Scientology. And the questions are pouring in over Facebook. I will get to those in a minute. But I want to go back to your blog. Uh, tell us about this story of... Uh, uh, of Ron Hubbard taking on squirrels. That that was funny. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, this is an important early document in Scientology history. I thought it was uh, a good opportunity to show it to my readers because one of the questions that comes up is, you know, you know, Scientology is always accused of being harassing, surveilling, doing dirty tricks on people. And I think it's important that people understand this is built into their DNA. It goes back to the early to the early 50s, but particularly in 1959, L. Ron Hubbard literally wrote down his his you know message for how to deal with enemies. And as he says in there, if anybody attacks Scientology, I always even the score. I mean that's that's the mentality of Scientology. So uh, what he was dealing with in particular was keep in mind that when Hubbard started all this in 1950, he, he put, uh, published a book called Dianetics, and the subtitle was The Modern Science of Mental Health. And for the first few years, at least, he, he told people that this was a new science, and he was a scientist, and he had found new scientific approaches to the human mind. And his early followers accepted him at that you know level they did believe it was a science well you know jim one of the bedrock natures of science is that one person may discover something but other people should be able to replicate those results right it's not it's not tied to a particular person i mean newton discovered gravity right but that doesn't mean that he owns the concept okay so uh, early Dianeticists and early Scientologists took Hubbard at his word and said, okay, I like this. I like these ideas. Now I'm going to go develop them on my own. And so there were a lot of splinter groups early in Dianetics history, and that drove Ms. Hubbard crazy. He hated the fact that there were people out there using, doing new things with his ideas. And so this, is, this document was how he decided to crack down on those people and he had a word for them. He called them squirrels. And to this day in Scientology, anybody who uses Scientology outside of the official church 
is called a squirrel. And there's no worst thing you can call a Scientologist than to call him a squirrel. That means that he's betraying L. Ron Hubbard's original intent. So I've been called squirrely, but not actually a squirrel. <laughs> and I'm also a fan of Rocky. Uh, the squirrel, you know, from Rocky and Bowling. Sure. So uh, there's a little bit the of a con- little bit right. of a connection there. Yeah. Uh, now, okay. So Robert wants to know how does the Commodore of the Sea Organization fit into today's Scientology? Well, there was only one Commodore, and that was L. Ron Hubbard, and that's that's the title he gave himself when uh, they, you know, he took Scientology to sea in 1967 uh, because he was getting too much heat in both the United States and in England. So in 1967 to 1975, for eight years, he ran Scientology from a ship. And that's how we got the sea organization, where the young people out there on the ship with him, and he gave them naval ranks, and he gave himself the rank of Commodore. And he's the only Commodore. When he died in 1986, they named him Admiral. And uh, he's the only admiral in Scientology. There will never be another admiral. There will never be another Commodore. So the top rank currently in the Sea Org is captain. And there's only one captain of the Sea Org, one true captain, not a brevet captain, one true captain in the Sea Org, and that is David Miscavige. And you, you will see, rarely, they will put up a graphic saying Captain David Miscavige, hmm. because everyone in Scientology knows that that means he is the top-ranked official in the Sea Org, which runs all of Scientology. Now, that movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman, that was about what was going on on the ship. Is that right? That was very interesting. Paul Thomas Anderson wrote a... uh, The script was great. I, I wish he'd stuck to his original script. By the time they filmed it years later... I think that they lost a lot of the direct Scientology uh, references, uh, but there's still quite a bit. What, what the period that Anderson was interested in, and he studied this very carefully. He told us in an interview at one time, uh, at the Village Voice, he, he was interested in that period between when Hubbard came out with the science in 1950 called Dianetics, and then a few years later, he, you know, said he, he, the idea was you were going to try to remember what it had been like in the womb and how you were traumatized when you were inside your mother's womb that leads to your problems today. And they believed this was a scientific approach, but that wasn't good enough for some people. They wanted to go back before the womb. They wanted to go to previous lives. <laughs> and so in, by 1952, 1953, that's what became not just Dianetics, but Scientology. Scientology is, is specifically going back with counseling to remember your past lives thousands, millions, billions, trillions of years ago on other planets. Man, I can't remember what I, I, don't, I don't remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> I could never do get into that. That is that is in, that is so, so that in that early history, there were some of his early followers that did not like that. It seemed to be going into this science fiction, bizarre area. Yeah, that's what the master is about. That's what that movie is about. It is the Laura Dern character saying, hey, you know, she objects. They're going from this science she believed in into this fantasy. And Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, Lancaster Dodd, is dealing with that. I thought it was amazing that he picked that one little particular moment in Scientology history to illustrate for his film. Yeah, from what I've read, a lot of strange things happened with that that 
that uh, ship, it like ran out of supplies and it was stranded at sea and was denied, uh, you know, g- getting into certain ports. Uh, it, it sounded like not a very fine one. It was not the love boat. Let's leave it at that, right? I mean, being being on that ship was right. probably not a very pleasant experience for people. You know, the, some of the people that were on that ship, though, they have, they, they remember it fondly. I mean, you know, when you're young and you go through difficult situations, uh, you know, when you're older, you kind of look back and think, hey, that was kind of an epic trip, even if we ran out of fuel and got <laughs> stranded and all that. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. you tend to, so, so there are books now out now by people that went through that who, who, people saying like Janice Grady that they really, they really enjoyed those times, even though they recognize that what Hubbard was putting out was a lot of nonsense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who who doesn't have a story about running out of gas and walking distances, and then you run into someone you know, and turns out to be, you know, like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You end up having just incredible time out of some horrible situation like that. Uh, Wendy wants to know where is Shelley Miscavige? What is the talk? She asks here. Right. So I've written about this extensively over the last uh, eight or nine years that uh, David Miscavige's wife, Shelly Miscavige, who at one point was helping her run the organization, helping Dave run the organization, uh, disappeared in uh, August or September 2005. Uh, I have written many times at my website. If you just type in Shelly Miscavige and Tony Ortega, it will come up um, that we know where she is and we know where they're keeping her. They're keeping her in a small mountain compound in the mountains above Los Angeles. She's been there now for what, 16 years. And, um, you know, it's just kind of incredible that, uh, David Miscavige can just banish his wife and, and she may be resigned to her fate. You know, uh, she was, a she really, really grew up, enthralled to L. Ron Hubbard and she may believe that this is just the best thing she can do for him is be stuck in this small mountain compound archiving his works and David Miscavige has so far gotten away with uh, being able to put her away and uh, I you know, encourage you to look up uh, Shelley Miscavige Tony Ortega, my articles about her will come up I actually provide a map where she is and uh, it, uh, we have been unable to get law enforcement interested in checking on her it's really kind of amazing yeah, that that's fascinating. Um, you know, who who knows what in the world's going on with that? Grant Cardone. Now, this is a guy who he he when I first heard of him and started watching some of his stuff online, I thought, "Oh, this guy seems like a successful guy." But then the more I started watching what he was doing and seeing his different sales offers, he seems kind of, I don't know, a little bit hucksterish to me just the impression I get, I, you know, I, I'm not suggesting he is cause I don't know, but he, he just seems, I don't know, a little bit like a used car salesman with all of the stuff that he's doing. Uh, he's a big Scientologist and you've got an article about Grant Cardone. Uh, what, what say you about Grant Cardone and his involvement? He only seems a bit of a huckster to you, Jim. Are you sure you're? Well, I mean, it's all about like, you can invest money and do all these things. And, you know, I, I write, things like that too but i i mean this he's claiming things that i think are clearly not reasonable as far as you know uh, how much people can make and how quickly they can make it and things like that so i i think you're you're right i, I probably should i uh, should not have understated that as much well look um there are quite a few people who make money 
convincing people that if you give them money, they'll make you rich. Um, <laughs> That's right. It's a hot, it's, it, it's a hot business. It is. Uh, I'm, I, I, it's not something I have a lot of respect for, but whatever. But what I'm interested in is that he's, he's a major Scientologist, major donor. And, uh, the Church of Scientology leader, David Miscavige, has used him as an enforcer over the years. Really? I've documented that. I've documented that going back nine years at the, at, uh, ten years at the, uh, at the Village Voice. They used him to bully Milton Caselis, the drama teacher, near the end of his life because he was no longer involved in Scientology. Um, so what would he, know, what, would, what would, what would he actually do? I mean, like physically intimidate or, was it uh, making phone calls and saying we'll do X, Y, and Z with the legal process if you don't back down? What, what were what were the actual tactics? In that case, in that case, I talked to um, Milton's former partner at Beverly Hills Playhouse, a really great guy, and he was just he he emphasized to me, and you can look that story up from the Village Voice, Grant Cardone, Village Voice, Milton Cutsellis. Um, he just emphasized to me that. Um, you know, Grant Cardone was sending these really threatening messages to Milton Katsellas and it, it, it really unnerved him. He was an older man. His felt, his health was failing. And he said that he made, you know, help make those final years really, really stressful. And, um, uh, that was something that clearly David Miscavige asked Grant Cardone to do. And then, uh, just recently I saw that he was uh, running down who clearly seems to be one of Scientology's biggest donors, which makes me think that that donor has slipped away. But, you know, Grant, Grant Cardone, the credit I give him is he is very good on social media and has a huge following. He and does. I, what I don't understand. And a beautiful, what I don't he's got a gorgeous, wa- he's got a gorgeous wife too. You, I, I wonder why he would even be involved with Scientology because he, I don't see what he gets out of it. I, I, I don't understand it. It would seem like it would only take away from, from him. Well, I don't know. He's very involved. He, uh, I, what I don't understand is, is why David Miscavige doesn't use him more, uh, for recruiting purposes. Oh, I see. Because, um, what, at one point, you know, when, when Cardone announces a, an event, uh, he gets a lot of people there. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure what those people get out of it, but he, he, he is good at attracting a crowd. He is. And uh, a couple of, a few, a couple of years ago, three or four years ago, he held an event at a Scientology facility. This was extremely rare, uh, but he did have an event at uh, the Hollywood Celebrity Center, and it was packed. And you have to understand, Scientology has been dwindling and hurting for years and years. None of their events are packed like that. Now, was this, was, was, this myself, a Scientolo- was this a Scientology event, or was it like a Grant Cardone like real estate seminar or something using that facility? It was described as a Scientology event. Okay, and I just, I just, I didn't, I didn't under, I don't understand why Miscavige doesn't do that. And more he's connected because with uh, nothing else is working. Well, he's connected with two uh, a lot of celebrities. Uh, Cardone, you see him on some videos with you know different famous people that you know sitting there with him talking and and chatting and yeah. Uh, he 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 strikes me though as a target for regulators. That might be why he's involved with Scientology, I, only because a lot of times these guys that are, go out there and say they have multi-millions of dollars and look at me on my jet, and then they're raising money from people to invest. A lot of times 
it's not what it appears to be and they get heavily like audited by the states uh, you know, in the federal, the Securities and Exchange Commission, people like that will come in. But uh, a lot of times regulators are afraid of Scientologists, right? Because what happened years ago with the IRS, where they actually went after the individual IRS agents uh, and, and really almost, you know, kind of created like an untouchable scenario for Scientology because of that. What I find is that the government is nervous about anything to do with the Church of Scientology but they will not hesitate to investigate and prosecute an individual Scientologist. Okay. I'm actually watching, I'm watching prosecutions of numerous Scientologists right now who have run afoul of regulators in, in medical fraud, uh, and other sorts of fraud. So I don't, if, if, if Grant Cardone were to cross a line, I don't think the government would be afraid about going after him personally. It's the church. That the, that the government seems to have a real nervousness about uh, investigating. I, I always think with these large organizations like Scientology that if some forensic accountant could follow the money, there's something not right. Uh, you know what I mean? Just as a nonprofit organization, it just seems like there's just, I don't know, I don't want to say money laundering or something shady with money, but it just seems like there's too much money moving around uh, in a nonprofit organization. Uh, but in any case, uh, th this is Cheryl's comment. Cheryl says, the money machine, why is it so hard to get out? Why do they pin family and friends against those who want to leave? Uh, and, and I would add to that. So if I have a, a friend that's a Scientologist, but I was never in Scientology, that's okay for them to be my friend. But if I was in Scientology and then left, now they can't be my friend anymore. Isn't that right? There's, you know, uh, this is why most of the people who leave Scientology, you never hear a word about it from them because they're so worried that, you know, they've, they've sort of backed away. They've gotten out as quietly as they can. If they speak up, that's when the trouble starts. That's when they can lose all connection to their friends and family who are still in. They can experience fair game harassment. So most people who leave never say anything. And I do, I do hear from new sources occasionally who give me some really good information on the down low, but they will say, I can't say anything publicly though, because I still got family in, you know, so that's, you know, there, yeah, yes, if, if, if you are, uh, if somebody in your family becomes a Scientologist, as long as you don't speak out about it and they don't speak out about it, you still will be able to stay in connection with them. It's when people leave and leave publicly and make noise, that's when the trouble starts. And the last story we're going to get to tonight is this story about, uh, Chase, uh, Chase Bank. Um, what's, what's the deal? So, so if you, get involved with Scientology and you don't have enough money for these courses that are thousands and thousands of dollars to move up the ladder and the different ranks and all that, as you've described in your prior visits, they'll open up an account for you with Chase uh, credit card. How does that work? Yeah, we've heard about I was born in Cuba, coming from Cuba, not speaking a word. This one in particular came to me last fall when I, you know, I had a new source who literally gave me a document that the employee, the sales employees in Scientology, who in their term, it's called the registrars. The registrars were using this document as a step-by-step -step guide for how to open up a series of Chase credit, 0% interest credit card 
in what they call the chase wave and telling the person what to say to the Scientologist to tell the chase people to lie to them so that they would be eligible for these cards. And so you would get people with very little credit or no credit, people who are working or not working, and they had this process for opening up six, seven credit card accounts so they could then charge sixty, seventy thousand dollars worth of Scientology uh, processes on them, and then leave the Scientologists in the lurch with this huge debt. Wow! It was clearly just a way for the church to bank huge amounts of money. And I started hearing from once I published that document, I started hearing from people all over the place that there's no question between 2015 and 2019, Scientology came up with this scheme. For, for saddling individual Scientologists with huge debts of tens and even hundreds of thousands of dollars on these credit cards, money they could never pay, simply so Scientology could appear to increase its revenue. How much, how much does it cost? Scientologists I'm just going to ask you, how much does it cost like to go through the whole, like, I, let's use a martial arts example, like how many, like to get a black belt, like what's, how, how much does it cost to go all the way to the top level and get like your black belt in Scientology? Well, if you're going to go to OTA, the absolutely top of the bridge, it's going to cost you, Mark Headley estimated, between half a million and $2 million over, in over 15 or 20 years. What? Yeah, it's gonna cost. It's gonna cost about a million dollars over and you, over. A and, you, and we'll put it all years. on a credit card for you. <laughs> but in the meantime, to get going, they want to bank fifty, sixty thousand to get you up to clear. Yeah. And um, and then what? What these various Scientologists were all telling me was that eventually Chase figured out what was going on and blacklisted Scientology in twenty nineteen. I haven't confirmed that with Chase. I don't know. I've got all these different Scientologists coming forward telling me telling this happened. But that um, it was like this temporary way of of increasing revenue in a false way that left all kinds of Scientologists in huge debt. And then the pandemic hit. And then suddenly it became even more difficult to get revenue. So I, I think personally, based on these news leaks I'm getting, these new sources, I think Scientology is in pretty big trouble right now. Um, but David Miscavige is still doing his best to make it look like you know, uh, everything's fine. Um, and so I don't know, I think this next year or two are going to be pretty tough for the church of Scientology. And so what's going to be the big story that you're going to, you know, covering, you know, the next few months, is it probably the Danny Masterson story? Is that the biggest story? The Danny Masterson story is huge because not only is he personally facing life in prison for raping three women, but Scientology was a huge part of the preliminary hearing. It's going to be a huge part of the trial. And Scientology's worried about it. Danny Masterson's worried about it. And I just think it's going to be really fascinating to see this battle brewing and then break out in August. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to be there in Los Angeles to be in the front row again and watch this whole thing. So I think it's going to be a very intriguing uh, moment for the Church of Scientology. And a lot of national news coverage, and that'll be bad for Scientology because everybody will be hearing that in that context about Scientology in a rape trial, which can't be good for anybody. Uh, yeah, I don't know how you can overcome that, but uh, maybe Grant Cardone could like hold a seminar across the street from the courthouse and <laughs> get everybody distracted. Uh, Tony Ortega, tell people how they can uh, follow you online and uh, any other uh, events you have coming up or speaking engagements or any books that you want to pitch, uh, anything else? 
Please come to TonyOrtega.org, my website, The Underground Bunker. We have a news story every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. On Twitter, I'm TonyOrtega94. And, uh, you know, please come and be part of the conversation. Every day we've got a new story. We've got a great commenting community that uh, really knowledgeable folks. And uh, we have a lot of fun. Very good, sir. Thank you so much for being with us. It's always fun. Always glad to be on your show, Jim. Thank you, sir. God bless. All right. that I, I love having that guy on. I don't know. I just, why am I so fascinated with Scientology? What is it about that? I just can't, I can't get enough. I can't get enough. And I guess that's not uncommon with that three years of that success of that Leia Remini show, Scientology, the aftermath. It's, it's something I think a lot of people are fascinated by. And we'll keep bringing Tony Ortega back at least, you know, four or five times a year and excited to have him back to uh, help us start out the brand new year. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Remember next week, we're here at nine o'clock Eastern. Our guest next week will be talking about marriage with Joe and Cindy Farini. These are some great people looking forward to that interview. God God bless. Remember, if it's Sunday night, it's Jim Paris live. So long, everybody.